Welcome to the Jump Around with Blake Dudonis, my podcast on women's basketball. Joining me today, the head coach of one of the surprise teams in the country this year, Boston College, Joanna Burnaby McNamee. Coach Mack is going to be joining me. Um, what a, a journey she's had during her career. Um, was an assistant for that Maryland National Championship team. Uh, everyone remembers the shot by Christy Tolliver and took some took some time off out of coaching, was an NAIA coach and was at Albany and now Boston College. 20 wins this year. She was coach of the year, well-deserved as the Eagles came in fourth place. And so I'm just, I'm interested in talking to her about her journey. Uh, she's someone I've always enjoyed interacting with. Uh, we've run into each other a lot on the recruiting trail. I've talked, but I've never really got to dive into her story. So I'm looking forward to talking to her about that, about this year, of course, in Boston College and just see how they're moving forward um, with the current state of everything. But we'll get her on the phone and be right back. This is The Jump Around. And welcome back to the Jump Around. And joining me, it is Boston College head coach, Coach Mack. I really appreciate you taking some time out of the day. I know you're, you're enjoying some time at home with the family, but um, I've been excited to talk to you for a while, and I'm really happy to have you on. So thanks so much for taking the time, Coach. Thanks. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. Uh, an unbelievable year for you guys. And um, my goodness, I, I can't even imagine the experience for you guys as you as you go through it's kind of the dream scenario where it's your second year so you've you've kind of laid the foundation and you make that run and um I know it's I know it's been I'm sure it's been tough kind of trying to cope with how it ended but uh a magical run for you all and uh kudos you, you guys were a lot of fun to watch this year ah oh, thank you I appreciate it. they were uh the team was honestly a lot of fun to coach what when we when we go back, and this is you know as this is what I do, I, I go back to the beginning first. For you, you're you're playing at a small school, West Liberty University. Um, you, you you have you have a great career. And by the way, I got to give you props. Uh, Eleven points a game over your career, which is great. Nine and a half assists a game, which is great. But nearly five rebounds a game for your career. And if people don't know you, you're you're not the tallest person in the world. So I mean, I'm I'm impressed. That's some that's an impressive coaching career or a playing career for you, coach. I thought for sure that was going to have like a sarcasm twist, and you're going to talk about how many turnovers. <laughs> that was also All positive vibes here. No. <laughs> so for you, back at that time, I mean, what's what is what do you even imagine your life looks like post college when when you're playing? You do have a great career, and as it's wrapping up, I mean, what what were your expectations? What were your goals? Your aspirations back then? Uh, back then, I, you know, to be honest, I always w was coaching when I was a kid. Like, that's how I made money a lot of times. My summer was between giving, you know, elementary school kids lessons when I was in high school and then babysitting. So that's how I made money mm -hmm. uh, growing up. And then when I got to college, I even coached this little AAU team that was 11 and 12-year-olds and had a blast. But I never, ever thought I would coach. Like, that was never something I said, oh, I want to be coached. You know, my... I think once I went into college as a math major, switched to uh, exercise phys with a minor in pre-pharmacy because decided I was going to go to pharmacy school when I was done with my undergrad. But then that's what you just mentioned was exactly when it hit me was right after we got done. We lost in like the first round of the NCAA tournament my senior year. And when I realized like basketball, I wasn't going to get to do it anymore. That's when mm -hmm. I was like, heck, you know, yeah. I got a coach like, being a pharmacist and I worked for my brother's a pharmacist and I worked in his pharmacy for a couple of straight summers and it was, you know, no offense to him. I loved it. It was awfully boring. And I was like, man, I don't know if this is going to be my career, you know? So, uh, and when I just thought about the idea of coaching, I just thought, you know, I could do this. You know, this is something mm -hmm. that I, I just love basketball. I can't imagine hanging up. And so, you know, I ended up not, uh, applying I took my application down for pharmacy school and ended up starting to apply for a GA position to be a coach yeah and, and you you're able to get on at Eastern Kentucky um to kind of jump start that coaching career uh how did how did you get that foot in the door that that first step is always the hardest one it seems 
Oh, man, I know, and I feel for my uh, GA right now doing the same thing, especially in these crazy times. Yeah. But when I was uh, when I was doing it, I literally, I was lucky at West Liberty. Uh, they let me send out my resumes, you know, snail mail, but uh, through the basketball office. So that was, you know, I was doing an internship at the time, my senior year, and this was half of my internship was sending out resumes, and I probably <laughs> sent out easily, like, 120 I would say minimum and just never heard back and I and I would call like I would take like six or seven schools to call each day mm-hmm. just and I my my goal was really to coach division one I know I played division two but I thought man I would love to coach at the higher level my body kind of restricted me at my mm-hmm. five three self from playing at a higher level but you know I love the game I just wanted to be able to coach at a higher level and I didn't hear back from anybody, like no one. Hmm. And I had that like, oh, geez, I just really messed up. I, it was too late to get back into getting into pharmacy school. It was too late for anything. And then all of a sudden, the coach at Eastern Kentucky called and his graduate assistant backed out if he was already hiring and he asked me if I was still open. Wow. So it was very lucky. But it was funny. Like that GA position, you had you got a $5,000 stipend and it cost five thousand dollars for for they gave you in-state tuition <laughs> so basically they gave you five thousand dollars you gave it right back to them and then i took out a loan mm. so i could have like money to have an apartment and right. then luckily i have great parents that supported me and they helped me with my car and car insurance through that time <laughs> hum- humble beginnings <laughs> i love it it makes you appreciate yeah. it so much more <laughs> Uh, and then you, after a year, you you go to West Virginia uh, Wesleyan as a head coach, the youngest head coach in... Well, actually, there's this little stint in between there that okay. no one really knows about because I don't ever put it on a resume. But same thing I, happened. I only had that GA position for one year because yeah. you got your master's in a year. Yeah. So I was in that same predicament of sending out resumes left and right again. And once again, Blake, I promise you, like... No one was going to hire me. Like, I had no bites, nothing. And finally, uh, there was a, the coach at Furman, the coach I worked for, Larry Inman, kind of knew a little bit. So I couldn't wait to, like, apply to her for her position. It was a third assistant. It was a restricted earnings position. I thought, surely they know each other. I can get this. And I'll never forget, this was back in the days of answering machines. She left a, an, uh, uh, a message on my answering machine uh, saying that I, I just didn't have enough experience for the job. And I don't know why. That was like my maybe 80th rejection. So I was like, I just like kind of blew a little head gasket and I called back. And I got her answering machine and I just like went off uh, and said, I, I'm i a strong young woman and you're a female coach and why wouldn't you give me this opportunity? What kind of experience do you need for a restricted earnings position? Da, 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 da. Just kind of like went off. And I thought, boy, well, I'm never going to probably get a job. I don't know what I'm going to do. This is and amazing. Sure enough, like a day later, she called me back and said that <laughs> the first that she was hiring backed out and <laughs> She liked my voice knowing what I, you know, was I interested. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> so my first job was a 12-month, $9,000 job uh, that my dad had to drive a U-Haul to South Carolina. And the whole time he said, are you serious? This is, was there something, it's, it's 12 months, are you sure the contract is 12 months? And all of your $9,000, how are you going to live? And I remember thinking, I don't know how I'm going to live, yeah. but I'm going to figure it out. Oh my and then goodness. three months later, I ended up getting that head coaching job at West Virginia Western. So I was only at Furman for, for a few months. Um, wow. And, I, you know, the, the coaching gods were upon me. And somehow at 23, I got a head coaching job uh, of the Division Two school, <laughs> which was amazing. Oh. That's so great. I'm so glad I, I, I'm glad we went down the timeline. Thank you for correcting me. That's, that is fantastic. That's a, that's a goldmine story. Oh man. Uh, well you, when you take over at, at, as a head coach at 23 years old, um, you, you're there. Are you terrified? I mean, what, what, what's the experience like at that age being, you know, the one everyone's looking at for answers? Yeah, I don't know. I guess for me, it was, the crazy thing, like the, the 
juniors and seniors on that team had played against me mm. because it was in the conference that I played in. So that was weird um, because, <laughs> you know, that was not necessarily a rival. Uh, my, my college team had always usually beat their team. So, but in their case, they didn't necessarily like me because I was on the team that yeah, was good. Sure. Uh, but it, I think that was when I first realized and, you know, that basketball players are probably going to listen to you if you kind of know what you're talking about and you have energy and enthusiasm. And, you know, being 23, the, the greatest thing about being that age and getting to be a head coach is I could be the exact coach I wanted when I played because I knew, like, I was so, so young and so fresh out of just being a player that I had such a good uh, ability to relate to the players. And I think I was also able just to kind of act older because this was the opportunity of a lifetime and I didn't want to mess it up. So I certainly wasn't going to do anything crazy uh, and I was going to try to be ultra professional. But also I was only 23, so I was like constantly playing one-on-one and pick up with them and just really doing all those things that you can do when you're that age. And, you know, if I, I could be the example setter when I wanted to show them how to do something and it was also a conference I had just played in. So, you know, I knew scouts and I knew how to do those kind of things. So it was really fun. And I ended up taking a team out when I looked at them at the beginning of the year and said, Hey, I think we're going to win this conference. And they all literally sat there slumped over. Like I was talking to a group of, uh, of dead kids. Um, there was, and I couldn't believe like I couldn't excite them. Mm. And I was like, man, when I was in, a senior in college, I would give a speech like this and everybody was all fired up and I couldn't get anybody to even give me eye contact or really. And then as the year progressed and we started doing better, we had that same thought going into the conference tournament. And I remember that feeling when everybody was like looking at me, engaged, Mm. shaking their head. And they believed what I was saying this time when I was meeting with them because we had won, yeah. you know, 16, 17 games, first time they'd ever had a winning season in the seniors. And that's, I think, the moment I absolutely fell in love with coaching. Hmm. That's cool. That's a cool moment. Um, you you end up going back to Eastern Kentucky after that as an assistant for two years. Then you go to West Virginia for two years and, you know, being from the state, I'm sure being a mountaineer, probably a a bit of a dream, a bit of a dream come true for you, huh? Absolutely. And that was kind of that where I was never good enough to, to even be remotely sniffed or looked at by West Virginia. But that was my opportunity Hmm. to, you know, be a coach there. And and again, coach in the, in the school that both my brother and sisters, everybody graduated from there. I was the only one that played basketball and went, went a different route. So Yes, that was exciting to be able to coach at West Virginia and be in, you know, my office was in the Coliseum. And mm-hmm. Blake, for every day that I was there, I'd walk in the building, walk in, look at the court, get goosebumps, and then go up to my office. <laughs> that's and that's cool. not why. Yeah, that's that's pretty sweet. I've, I have coached a game there, and it got my, my butt kicked. But still, uh, very, uh, yes, a very supportive <laughs> fan base there. <laughs> it's a It's a cool, yeah, that's... That's one of those unique situations where, like, truly the state and that school, they they are one, you know, and it's intertwined. So I'm sure the experience was pretty cool for you. Absolutely. Uh, you then go to Maryland, and you win a national championship. And not just a national championship, but, but one of the most memorable national championships we've ever seen um, for, for you. Uh, I mean, can you walk me through, you know, a brief synopsis of the season and, and just the game and just the experience from, you know, right there courtside and, you know, doing the scouts, doing the coaching and just kind of experiencing that firsthand in a way that, you know, not many people in the world have? Uh, sure. Uh, first of all, that year, you know, coaching, you know, I was there the, the, the two years prior to, to getting to win the national championship. So that was just the process of, really being ultra competitive in the recruiting and being able to sign some really awesome players and then have them kind of join and mix in with the players that were already there. And uh, when I tell you again, there wasn't really, and I'm going to tell you that about my team that I just got the coach. There wasn't like a bad apple in that bunch. Uh, They were 
energetic and they were good. And one of the things I love, and I think most coaches, uh, young coaches will be able to relate to this, is because I was still pretty young at the time. And just having these players that it was like the dream come true. If I could coach them and talk to them about moves and different things and try to, you know, we would do player development. And it was all the things as a player I wish I was athletic enough to do. But I never could. But getting to teach them how to do different things and then actually picking up and looking at me like, hey, this is great. And, like, when they would use the move in the game to look at me like, wow, that worked, you know. Like, for me, that was, like, the greatest thing ever to be able to uh, give knowledge to kids that could actually do it. And then at the end of the day, they were just such good. They were such good people. So that was fun. And then, you know, us playing, you know, that year we played Duke at home and we were in now the Xfinity Center. Back then it was called the Comcast Center. And that was our big game where we really tried to do a bunch of uh, different things to get uh, fan base there. And we ended up selling out of the Duke game. Uh, over 17,000 people were in, were in the facility. And, you know, that's a long time ago. That's back in, you know, 2006, you know, so that's, Women's basketball, you know, 17,000. That was, at the time, the yeah. largest uh, crowd in NCAA history. And when I tell you, like, I don't know that I could stop the hairs on my neck <laughs> and everywhere. Like, they were on straight pins and needles. And I could tell, like, our players couldn't really calm down either. Mm-hmm. And we ended up kind of getting blown out. And it was terrible. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, and it was my scout. The dude that year was my oh, scout. And I was thinking, oh, man, this is the worst, you know. So we faced Duke uh, again. You know, so we actually played them three times and lost all three. And they were an unbelievable team. And one of the things that I got from that team, and I still talk about it with every team I've ever coached, was when they would warm up late, no lie, and warm-ups. You know how like, our, our teams get out there 60 minutes before mm-hmm. and they go through their stretching and then they kind of have their uh, tw- they go back out for the 20 minutes and they do all that. Yep. There was rarely a coach, a strength conditioning coach even out there with them and they were like all fired up. Hmm. Like to where even at Maryland, like our, our players just turn and watch them warm up. <laughs> they had so much energy and so I always, as a, as a young coach, I said to myself like when I get my team, I'm going to make sure they do that. Mm. You know, they somehow, you know, conduct themselves like that. And that was also a theme that we used after we played at Duke with our players to kind of tell them, hey, this is, take a page out of their book. Let's try to be more like that in warm-ups. Because that really sets the tone. And it also was definitely an intimidation factor that, that worked, you know. So, that was something that we picked up a, a little nugget of, of, of stuff from that year. But then when we are at Boston College that year and the final four was going to be at TD Garden, or we actually went, and I thought that was brilliant of Brenda Freeze to think to do that, but she took our team when we were here for to play Boston College. She took us to the TD Garden and we all kind of sat there and she just told the, the players, hey, you know, really think about and envision that this is where we're going to be hmm. in March. Hmm. You know, we're going to make it back here. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And that was a lot of foresight for a team that uh, that year had actually, I think we had seven overtime games before that national championship. Wow. And we were 7-0 and in overtime. But I'm telling you, we took teams that weren't very good took us to overtime that hmm. year. And actually, Boston College was, a, was an overtime game. Uh, that season as well. Boston College was really good that year. Uh, but then we went to the NCAA tournament and we go through, and I think you probably, you might have heard the story in the Elite Eight. Uh, we ended up having a really bad stomach virus go through our team. Have you ever heard that story? No. Yes, super, super bad stomach virus. So, Everybody got it, but me, no one knew. I was pregnant with my uh, oldest son, and I didn't tell anybody, but I, I swear prenatal vitamins are like <laughs> the best thing ever, and I was the only one that didn't get it. 
and we ended up luckily uh, Boston College was in that that same region for the uh, the Sweet Sixteen, and they had lost uh, to Utah. So instead of having to face Boston College with everybody just literally puking and, and yeah. I'm not going to go into details, but it was disgusting. <laughs> uh, we were in New Mexico. And instead of having to play Boston College, which would have been really, really tough, like I don't know, that would have been a, a tough game. We got to play Utah, which yes, they were they were good, but you know Boston they upset Boston College, right? Uh, so we ended up getting to play Utah, and again took us to overtime, and that was also my scout, um, <laughs> but we won thankfully. So uh, we got to go to the final four in Boston, which was an absolute dream come true. By the time we hit. Boston, the only people that were sick were, were my, my husband was, like, deathly sick. He ended up catching it. I never did get it, which was great. Um, <laughs> but we go to Boston, and uh, what we did, what I did that Duke game, which was kind of cool, was I changed uh, their name, and I changed the scout. Every player had a different name. They were pretty funny, actually. But uh, I just called them the coup day. And even the whole the whole time prepping for them, I was like a coup day, a coup day, because we just I just put Duke backwards on the top of the scout. Yeah, and we kind of, and just kind of trying to change the light of hey, they're a good team. We have the stigma we're like going three uh, against them this year, but mm. this is a totally different team, and we're a totally different team. Let's go and, and crush it. Yeah, so that's those cool. are my inside tidbits and my awesome memories from that's that year. So cool. That's I love it. I love it. Uh, I'm. I mean. I think all of us who were, you know, old enough just remember watching that game and just being in, in disbelief because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm from Maryland originally, so I grew up a, a Terp. And so at that, at that time, I was still young enough to where I was still, you know, a Maryland fan. So I remember sitting in my house, screaming my head off when, when the shot goes in at the end. So, um, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, and that's what's funny. Uh, we made my boys watch it and they were like, I don't even know how the overtime goes. All I know is the shot that got us into overtime. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what everyone remembers. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just uh, yeah, that that's a fun one. I appreciate it. that. That's some great insight, man. I'm I'm learning all sorts of stuff. See, I knew I knew having you on was going to be a good decision. <laughs> um, you you end up going back to West Virginia for a year as an assistant again, and then. Uh, you, you're out. You're out of the. You're out of the business and take some time off. What went behind uh, that decision and and those couple of years where you uh, you take some time away from coaching? Well, actually, I was. What I did that. Uh, my my boys are Irish twins, so they're uh, eleven and a half months apart. And that year, like I said, I was pregnant, and I had my son in October, which isn't isn't really the greatest time <laughs> no. when you're a basketball coach to have a son. And we, we honestly, we got pregnant right when we stopped trying. You know what I mean? Like, we were like, Dad, we're, you know, we tried for like the three-month window that was going to work and nothing happened. And I was like, well, let's stop trying and we'll try it again next year. And sure enough, as soon as you stop trying and you don't think about it, so yeah. much, that's when it ends up happening. Yeah. So with my son, Luke, um, when I gave birth to him in October of 2006, literally he was like, two months old and I took a pregnancy test and found out I was pregnant again. So uh, we were still at Maryland at that time. And I was a little bit in shock, uh, but I thought, Hey, no worries. Like I can do this. We can do this. And then, you know, he got really, Luke got really sick when he was about six months old and this was right in the heart of the season. And it was one of those days where uh, one of the, one of the coaches I believe was actually out sick and two of the coaches were on the road uh doing a home visit not a home visit they might have just been out uh doing an eval and I was the only coach at practice running the practice that day and I remember my nanny called and said hey Luke doesn't seem like he's feeling himself like like himself and I remember when I dropped him off I didn't think he was quite himself Hmm. but I asked her I was like it's okay and like you said everybody's a Maryland fan right so she you know in that area so she was like oh, no, you're fine, coach, you're fine. You just stay and do what you need to do. Come when you can. So I ended up waiting till after practice and going to pick him up, and he was really sick, and I brought him to the pediatrician, and she was basically, like, scolding me, and here I am. I'm, like, at this time, at this point, like, four months pregnant. So I'm emotional, and the whole time, this is, you know, the first time, you know, one of my, you know, having my baby sick, and kind of feeling helpless, but also realizing, like, I made it worse by taking the time to pick him up. 
And it was one of those where I just like, I don't know if I can do this with two. Yeah. How am I going to do this? So I ended up at the end of that year talking to uh, Brenda Freeze and just letting her know, like, hey, I got to take a break from coaching. And she was a little shocked um, and, and probably disappointed. And, and I felt really bad, but I also felt like that was what my calling was to do at that time. So when I took the boys, uh, you know, I ended up having my son. And in the meantime, my husband was trying to get us back closer to home. And so we ended up moving back to Morgantown because that put us like an hour and a half from my family and four hours from his family, like three and a half, four hours from his family. So it was a good middle ground. It's where we met. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a lot of friends there, but it was also where he could get a good job. So we moved, we did that move. And then at the end of that year, both of my kids were actually sleeping through the night and I felt like I was superwoman. (laughs) And Mike at West Virginia, who I'd worked with before, had an opening. And I thought, man, I'm like on top of the world. You know, I can do this. And so uh, I went back there, and, man, it was the hardest absolute, like, nine months of my life. Uh, I felt guilty every day. Um, and it was one of those those tug of wars because I, I felt like I wasn't being a great mom, and I wasn't being great at my job. And... So that was kind of how that little bit of time transpired. But everything happens for a reason. And during that time is when I got to work with uh, George Forche, who's on my staff now. Yeah. And uh, like, and I think that's a big reason for why I went back in that in that short stint was because I was able to meet him, and I also was able to meet the players on that year's team, which still hold a very special place in my heart because they were great. Hmm. But you know, I had to get out, and then I got out for like a good four years until my boys both got into kindergarten and first grade and that's when I got back in. Yeah. I appreciate you you being willing to go back with me, but you just have such an interesting story that I can't help but to try to dive into it a little bit. Um, so when you decide to get back in, you get the head coaching job at Pikeville and one, bravo. I mean, 63 and 26, <laughs> you go to a final four, a uh, remarkable run. When you decide to get back in and not just get back in, but get in as a head coach, um, was was that feeling of excitement still there? Were there any nerves after being out for a while and then taking over a program? What what was that experience like? And then how were you able to be so successful there? Well, when I got in, it was kind of my husband uh, grew up in Pikeville, and he's one of five boys. So uh, moving to Pikeville for my family was kind of it was definitely somewhere where I wouldn't have pictured getting to move, but. I have 11 nieces and nephews and they all live there. Hmm. So for my, uh, on my husband's side, so my, my boys were like, it was like we were moving to Disney World. Truly. Like they were so fired up uh, to go there, be with our cousins, this small town of like 6,000 people. Hmm. Uh, everybody knows, you know, the McNamee family. So my kids easily uh, adapted and it was really great. And for me, I took over this program that I was like, they were they were not very good before I got there. They were actually pretty bad, but they played in this really nice facility. And I guess when I saw the facility, I thought, well, surely I can talk people into yeah. coming to Pikeville to play here. And I coached that, and that was hands down. Uh, that first year of Pikeville was definitely the toughest uh, year I've probably ever had in coaching. Because hmm. uh, to be honest, I I didn't relate to the players that were there at all. Um, and for me, I thought maybe I had changed too much in that little raising kids sabbatical that I took. I thought that maybe I changed too much and maybe becoming that transformation from player to coach to now mom had changed me too much to where now I wasn't a very relatable coach because I had a hard time relating to the players, to be honest with you. But what then I realized was, was, and this is, I guess, my advice to any younger coach listening when they feel like they're not relating is maybe it's the players. And that's kind of, I think, what it was. The players and that I was coaching that first year just weren't anything like me. You know, they, they didn't really love basketball. A lot of them were playing just for the scholarship. Yeah. Uh, they didn't have a ton of passion to be great. They were okay with losing. You know, all those kind of things just, no, no, not, 
not every single person on the team by any means, but the majority of the team was kind of like that, to be honest with you. And for me, it was, I thought it was me until I started bringing in, in that second year, I was able to bring in like 10, 10 new players. Mm. And when I brought in all these, like, and most of them were high school kids that had a couple of transfers, but most were just, you know, seniors coming in as true freshmen. And that's when I was like, okay, I didn't make a mistake, but I'll tell you that whole first year, I probably told my husband, I was like, I don't know what I've done. Like, you know, I, this was a mistake. Uh, and I thought that pretty much that whole first year getting back in, not to mention that it's always an adjustment when now I went from not working to working. And I also had my kids giving me that little, yeah. you know, yeah. pain of guilt a lot, you know, so that was tough, but uh, it all worked out. And definitely by that second year, I remembered exactly why I coached exactly what I loved about it and everything worked out great. What a, what a remarkable turn from, Hmm, maybe I made a mistake to going to a final four to getting the head coaching job at Albany to getting the head coaching job at Boston college. That's, that's quite a, quite a turn in a pretty quick period. (laughs) Right. For sure. Uh, When you end up, taking the Albany job. I mean, at this point it's like, okay, we're, we are back in this thing. We, we are, we're doing it right. You, again, you have a successful run at Pikeville. You take over an Albany program who had been successful. You continue that level of success. And then the Boston college job comes open and you've got a chance to be the head coach in the ACC. Uh, again, you just go back a few years and what a stark difference in, in places you are in your life when when you go through the process with Boston College, you you get the offer, you take the job, um, the emotions and thoughts for you a, as you're doing that because it is such a stark difference of you know where you were just so few years ago. What was that experience like? Uh, it was humbling is probably the best word because in excitement and just really thankful because my family was willing and that's a lot when it's easy to make moves and to do crazy things when you're just on your own mm-hmm. and it's actually still easy when it's just you and your spouse if, they're, if they'll agree to it and they have a flexible job or things like that but you know now when you're talking about uh, having two kids and making everybody kind of get up and move Again, from Pikeville to Albany, really tough move on my families. That you know, my boys. That was a really tough move, and I felt like we were just adjusting in Albany, and then the job came open, and I got a call from Boston College. And when that happened, and we started seriously discussing it, one of the cooler things was when we were at the Final Four, which was in Boston. We were back at Maryland uh, before our kids were born. My husband said. Cause he got to like, he didn't get sick until actually the, the, the night of the game. <laughs> so he got to go and check out all of Boston yeah. and get to see while, while we were working. And I remember him coming back and said, man, I'm not a big city guy, but I would love to live in Boston. <laughs> and it, and then when this came out, <laughs> when this happened, we both like remembered that conversation yeah. and that, you know, everything happens for a reason. It's crazy how, and I'm a big believer of that. Like I believe karma is real when it, Things happen for a reason. So uh, we talked to the boys, and the bo- I know our boys were kind of like, well, we like all of but we don't like it that much. It's no Pikeville. So <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were actually okay with making the move. Okay. Um, and they, you know, <laughs> and so, you know, my one son was like, yeah, I like, you know, I like the Celtics. And, and then they were both agreed that, you know, they could be, they, they just, all, both says they could never be Patriots fans um, because they're Steeler fans. Oh, so okay. that was, you know, a big thing. But they, they agreed that maybe we could find Tom Brady's house and they could keep it. <laughs> you know, so we had all these fun things that we would talk about. But um, I guess I was thinking that everybody was going to be willing to move for me um, to kind of live out my dream, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, well... You take over a, a team who who had struggled in recent years, and again, 
it's also all relative of who you're playing, right? So you're in a, a brutal league too. It's not uh, it's not like you, you got any fa- no favors, right? No no free nights. So um, you know, year one, you guys go fourteen and sixteen. You you go three and thirteen in conference and come in thirteenth. And then year two, and again at that level with that competition, it's not supposed to be a quick turnaround. It's not supposed to be you know something where it just happens overnight. But for you guys. Going into this year, and again, we know what happened now. You won 20 games. You came in fourth place. An unbelievable year. Your coach of the year. But coming into the year, if I would have told you that was going to be the end of the result, hey, you're going to win 20 games and come in fourth, would you said, fine, deal, I'll take that? Um, yeah, I probably would have. Yep, I, <laughs> I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> what was the what was it like though coming into year two where again year one's tough but maybe anticipated but you guys you guys won 14 games it's not a not nothing to snuff at so for you guys coming in what were the expectations what was uh, what were the mindsets of the players you know what what was kind of the the feel going into the season well I'll tell you year one was was tough the end was really tough but the beginning was so exciting of year one hmm. and it was a lot of firsts for our, for cause we had no seniors, which is crazy. Um, so, and I've never coached a team that hasn't had seniors before. Yeah. So our, uh, just the beginning half of the, the year, just like listening to our juniors say, you know, before our 10th game, you know, our, our opportunity to win our 10th game, like the senior saying, this could be our first time getting double digit wins in hmm. college. And like things like that was, so it made the year fun. Now the ending was tough, but I also think when you had eight, you know, or seven freshmen and one redshirt freshman on your team, yeah. so eight total. Yeah. When you the longevity of the season compared to what it is when you're a senior in high school, you can't even compare. Mm-hmm. And they were spent at the end of the year. You know, like it was it was a long year, and they emotionally and. and you know, even maybe physically weren't necessarily mature enough to, to get themselves through it. So that was something that we could talk a lot about this year and making sure that they could see those warning signs of getting tired out or getting a little bit mentally burnt out so that we could, you know, recharge. Uh, but one of the other things that was great was when the season was over last year because I didn't have any seniors that I had to coddle in the locker room and talk, you know, because generally after your last game, like you probably did this year, you center everything in the locker room around your seniors. Yep, yep. But I didn't have any seniors to do that with, <laughs> so you know I couldn't rip off the mic that was on me from that last game in Greensboro fast enough, and I couldn't get wait to like get in there and just really let them know how I like how I was feeling and what my expectations were because we weren't going to go, in my opinion, through another year where we had that many losses at the end and and felt sick like we were, you know, like yeah. we felt after that game. So yeah. that was what I was able to go in there and tell them. And it also centered around me saying, you know, very honest things like we're going to hit the weight room. And when we do, our guards are no longer going to outlift our posts. Like things are going to change mm-hmm. and it's going to change because we're going to be tougher. And if anybody doesn't want this, just let me know yeah. and we'll figure out a different place for you. But this is what we need because I know you guys and you guys, want to win and we all know that wanting it just isn't enough you got to really put forth the extra and we don't want to feel like this anymore you know is anybody in this room happy with the way this year ended and everybody was really bummed out and again maybe i'm lucky because at boston college the type of players we have they really are a, a cut above i think when it comes to character and maturity and that's a tribute to the coach that was here before me recruiting any great high character but that was something that I knew I could be honest with them yeah. and they were going to take it kind of the way I wanted them to and not, yeah. you know, go turn around and maybe try to get me fired with the administration or something where I hear horror stories from yeah. other coaches yeah. saying things like that. But I was lucky that, you know, they, they wanted the, they wanted that honest feedback. Yeah. And they, they, it, instead of, it did fire them up. And as soon as we got back, you know, they were hitting us, and the strength conditioning coach saying, man, when is this two weeks up? When do we get to the gym? <laughs> like they were fired up to get started. And that really carried into this last year. And one of the things though, at the beginning of this year, uh, I have to say, I was thinking, you know, when we had a couple really disappointing losses early on, I would start, I even said to myself, this is what people must mean when they say year two is tougher. Yeah. 
because my year two at Albany was actually, even though we did, we ended up going to the NIT and to the NCAA tournament, the year itself, the process of that year was way more fun than the first year. Hmm. Uh, so my first year was really tough at Albany, even though we won and had success. My second year was so much more fun for me. And it was at the beginning of this year, it kind of felt like a flip. Like, yeah. boy, the first year, you know, at the beginning was really exciting. And then this year we had some disappointing losses. But I think we really grew and learned from each of those losses, which in theory you're always supposed to do. That doesn't always happen. No, no. But again, this group really did. Uh, they were able to stick together because they had great chemistry. And it led us into growing and learning from each of those losses early on. And early on, we really weren't 100% healthy. And that. That's also something that we didn't have to deal with all the year before was injury and different things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and as a coach, I feel like I've been very fortunate and lucky. I'm knocking on wood right now as I'm saying it. Where I haven't had to deal with a ton of injuries through my coaching career. And people, you know, talk about how I've been lucky to be so successful. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. Is that my teams have been relatively healthy and I've always been fortunate to be surrounded by really great people. With, that tough start, and I know you've said this before, you, you guys end up, though, after some tough losses, you play Northwestern really, really close in the ACC Big Ten, and we obviously see how good they had of a year. So that's a moment where you go, okay, here we go. And then you guys go on the road and beat Notre Dame. And you've kind of said, like, that was the turning point where it was like, okay, here we go. And, and you guys yes. took off. What For you guys in that lo- in that locker room after the game you go there and win i mean was it was it that palpable like could you just feel it like okay now now we've got it oh yeah i could even you know to be honest with you i could even feel it at halftime mm. like i could feel their energy like they were they were proud of themselves and they were hungry for the second half yeah you know so that was exciting because you know Notre Dame Yes, they had a down year, but they're still really good. You yeah. can tell by some of the games that they won yep. this year that they, they had a they had good personnel, and they were the national champs from the year before. Do you know, what I, so that for us that was just and that's what I told them before the game. I was like, man, this is why we signed up. Like this, these are the kind of milestones that we're gonna we're gonna check off the list because this is why you guys came to play in the ACC kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they again. Like, how I said with that first team I got the coach, how they'll look at you, but they don't really believe you. Right. Uh, this team was looking at me at the beginning of the game, and they did kind of believe me, but they didn't wholeheartedly believe me. Yeah. And then at halftime, talking to them, man, the energy, the, 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 the complete buy-in to each other, everything was just there. Yeah. And I kind of had no doubt that the second half was going to be a great half, just yeah. from their energy. Well, then you guys have a and great... That was, that's all it takes is that confidence, you know, that's confidence is such a huge thing yeah well it's just funny because that that speaks that's a microcosm of the rest of the year because you guys have a great second half of the year and go through the ACC and win 11 games and go to the ACC tournament semis and uh, what a run it was and then um, again this is something that we've we've all dealt with and I and this is honest to goodness I keep saying this to people I feel terrible for everyone who had their career ended early for these seniors who didn't get a chance to play in the tournament and you know you feel bad for the South Carolinas and the Oregons and but I'm like I feel bad yeah. for the Boston colleges I feel bad for I had Nell Fortner on the Georgia Techs the teams that hadn't been there that went through so much that had a chance to get in and that's just what you want right a chance to play and so for you guys, I just can't imagine that experience. You, you guys are you're on the bubble, but you really think you guys are going to make it in. Uh, the, as the news comes down and the tournament's not going to be played, how did you guys kind of navigate that? How did, how did the news break? How did your team uh, handle that whole situation? Man, it, it was emotional. And sadly, the, part of the worst part initially of us hearing about it is I was on the road. Uh, doing a home visit. Oh, jeez. So that was really heartbreaking for me to think like I'm not even there to personally break the news. I had to, we had to do it via phone call, mm-hmm. which was terrible. Yeah. But, you know, as soon as we got back the very next day, we had everybody over at my house and uh, got to spend like three hours. And I think our, our tweet that our video coordinator put out said it's the best. How do you squeeze? whole season into three hours 
And it was hard, you know, because it was emotional. Um, You know, our players, like you said, you can imagine they were devastated, especially our seniors. Uh, They just, and it's not just the devastation of the year. You know, at a school like Boston College, they work their butt off academically. Mm. And, you know, as seniors, you kind of, and I, I, I feel them on this, they can't wait for the, the spring because that's their time to kind of let loose. That they, you know, they work so hard, they really don't get that until the spring of their senior year where it's kind of that continual getting to party and, and really enjoy college. And they, they build up for that. And I think even professors kind of know, like, a lot of them are doing their internships and their, their course load is a lot lighter because they all took summer school. And they can't wait to have that little bit of time with their best friends and their friends that aren't even on the team just to let loose. And all of that got stripped away, including even, like, graduation. Like, just they had to pack up and leave. Yeah. And I think underclassmen, like you said, they're going to get over that because they know they have more opportunity do it again but for seniors and this it's like that's it for them and uh for us we have two seniors that are across the world in australia and it was emotional yeah. uh, i get emotional just thinking about it right now it, it, it was it's tough yeah. and not that we don't understand that the world uh and what we're dealing with is much much bigger than sports and all of those kind of things it doesn't change the fact that it hurts yeah for all coaches, right? We're all trying to kind of navigate now, uh, you know, operating from afar. Uh, how have you guys been, you know, handling with, with, you know, one, I say it's different for us at D3, like we can't work with our players right now anyway. So I'm like, that's not that different, right? Recruiting is, but for you guys, you, you could be in the gym, uh, preparing for tournaments or, you know, doing off season workouts. How are you guys kind of navigating, still trying to keep that cohesiveness, keep that momentum moving forward, even though you guys are, like you said, all across the world from each other? Right. Well, we're doing, uh, it's been kind of nice, like the Zoom that everybody is doing that, that has kind of kept us together. So right now we're just meeting like three times a week on that. Two of those times are for them to meet. Uh, I'm on each of the calls, but uh, on Mondays and like Fridays, they're hanging out with our uh, trainer and strength conditioning coach who are putting them through easy workouts that they can do in front of their uh, computers or phones so it's like a mobility ankle mobility and and acl prevention with a stretch and like some agility work where it's just like stationary jumping and so they can do it kind of in front of the computer or in front of their phone and then one day a week we're just going to talk with me and the coaches uh with them if they have any questions on the basketball skills workouts that we're sending them and a lot of them right now uh they don't have a gym to get into because their gyms are, are closed, and then the, the outdoor hoops now, a lot of the places where my players are, and even here we're on that, they've kind of like, crime-steamed the, uh, the, <laughs> yeah. the basketball courts. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that has been challenging because yeah, I've just given them a bunch of things that how to work without a hoop if they don't have the luxury of having one and what some good things they can work on besides just ball handling to get their footwork together. So that's some of the things that we've been trying to – to do and then for me I'm telling them like a lot of them again don't have necessarily gyms that they can go to to get their lifting in so I told them that they're going to be almost like Cirque du Soleil probably when we get back they're going to be so in control of their body and be able to do things with their own body (laughs) so we joke but I'm hoping that you know I think that one of the big things that all coaches are probably telling their players is hey you got to just find a way to keep honing your craft and getting better because if you're not doing it definitely other other people are, yep. and yep. you know we don't want to lose our edge when when we face those people. We want to make sure that, and I think that's what we're known for at Boston College, is that we do outwork people. Yeah, um, and, and we work really hard at that, and we enjoy it. And that's one one thing I loved about this year, especially, is that we honestly, there, I love hanging out with our group and, and traveling with them. And I think that's why we were a good road team because we enjoyed being together. It was never a, a chore or, you know, anything that we didn't look forward to. We really, truly enjoyed the moments that we had together. And that's another reason why it stinks to have it cut short. Yeah. Um, you've been so gracious with your time. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I'll, I'll let you, let you leave on this. Uh, as you go into year three now, 
Um, you you have had success. So, like you said, those players are looking at you. They believe you. Yeah, you've got uh, two classes of your own recruits in. For you guys moving forward, uh, what is it that's going to help you guys kind of maintain and even build upon that success? What is it you, you kind of alluded to with the academics, and it takes a different kind of person to go to Boston College and be successful. But for you guys, what makes you guys, what makes your program unique? What is it about you guys that, you know, is a little bit different that makes you guys Boston College? That's a good question. I think about that a lot, and I, this is probably what everybody answers this question to, but I think it's our people. Um, I really am, you know, we believe in the golden rule, like each of my coaches, including myself, are really in it to get our players better. We are very passionate about basketball and and just growing and mentoring where a lot of coaches, whether they're able to admit it or not, are coaching because their egos are are really big and they just like to be uh, the the boss of people and tell people what to do. And we really don't have anything like that. So we are truly, I think uniquely again, overused, but I, I can't say it enough. We truly are a second family that loves being around each other and our chemistry, I think is what sets us apart. Mm. Well, it was, uh, it was fun to watch you guys be so successful. I, I know that uh, I joined a lot of people that were rooting for you guys to, to keep it going. So we're, We'll all be continuing that cheering for you guys going forward. But really, I appreciate you. I've always enjoyed our, our time and interactions together. So um, thanks for sharing your story and being so gracious with your time. And uh, best of luck to you guys going forward, Coach. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Well, thanks again to Coach Mack being really gracious with her time. And, man, some awesome stories in there. That was uh, that was fun. Stories I didn't know. So I, I, hope, I hope you all enjoyed those as much as I did. I appreciate you guys listening uh, to the Jump Around wherever you listen, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, wherever you listen. If you leave a rating or review, that's helpful. Uh, You can find me on Twitter always at Blake Dudonis. And until next time, this is the Jump Around.